Welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of professional wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and this is take two for the podcast and take two for this attempt at the podcast after my rookie mistake of deleting the very first try I had tonight. So we're going to pull an all-nighter and have another crack, eh? A suggestion I got from one of my many, many listeners um, on how to improve the podcast after the first episode was to give a brief rundown on the two companies, so I'm going to attempt to do that now. Last week, Nitro just won in the ratings war, but this week, Raw edged it with a 2.5 to Nitro's 2.4. Not sure if that has anything to do with the fact that in the Raw intro, Vince called this Thursday Raw. On the network, they're both tagged September 18th, but I'm assuming that Raw was on a different night this week. Um, On the WWF side of things, Diesel is holding the World Heavyweight Championship, Shawn Michaels is holding the Intercontinental Championship, Yokozuna and Owen Hart are holding the tag titles, all those titles will be up for grabs in the upcoming pay-per-view in your house, and it it is being known as the triple header of the match there for all the belts, Gorilla Monsoon Initiative yet again. In WCW, Hulk Hogan has his death grip on the World Heavyweight Championship. Sting is relegated down to the US title. Diamond Dallas Page won the TV title at the night before's pay-per-view full brawl off the Renegade. Sad to see him not carrying the gold. I really had high hopes for him. And Harlem Heat are holding the tag team titles. As mentioned earlier, a full brawl was the night before, and that had the big War Games match that saw Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and Sting, except Lex Luger to be their partner against the Dungeon of Doom. So without any further ado, Jack Tunney has flipped his famous coin, and this week we get to watch Raw first, which as a personal thought is much better for me because it it lessens the chance of Eric Bischoff being able to spoil the show for me. Thanks a lot, Easy e The show opens up with a recap of the Kid and Razor, um, and then it goes to the Raw intro, intro, sorry. and I notice that some of the footage seems to be the footage used later on in the D-Generation X intro. I'm sure that's common knowledge, but it was novel for me. After that introduction, we have another recap of Razor and the Kid, and I notice Razor slaps the Kid, something I either missed last week or was cut out of the network version, not sure which. The Kid comes out first, uh, Razor comes out next, and it's then that I notice the mic issues from last week have been completely fixed. Uh, The crowd do give him a decent pop. As he enters the ring, the Kid jumps in pretty well straight away before the bell, and we get off to a quick start. Not too soon into the match and Raze is under control. He gets a hold of the kid and takes him up to the second rope for a super SOS. Raze is doing a marvellous job of beating up the kid who always sold well for bigger opponents, something I really admired in Sean Waltman, the kid, X-Pac, whatever you want to call him. When he'd go against Kane later on, a lot of people derided the angle, but I always enjoyed the matches, particularly when he'd get hit by the chokeslam. Same against Undertaker as well and the last ride, come to think of it. Uh, he's taking a good beating here from Razor, who again, for the second week in a row, I have someone channeling the spirit of Kerry Von Erich and nailing the discus punch. Eventually the kid does get under control and he nails a sick looking spinning heel kick, another one of his moves I always liked, and he puts Razor in a sleeper hold, who is selling it with some pretty strange eyes. Best way to describe it would be he looks drunk, which considering it's Scott Hall, is probably not the look he wanted to go for. 
He does manage to get out of the sleeper with a back suplex, and then not too long after this, we have a three-way collision between Razor the Kid and the referee. This is the signal, of course, for Dean Douglas to come out in his best pair of dad jeans, looking just like my multi-strand science teacher from year 11, and he's learned his mistake from last week, going to the correct turnbuckle to splash Razor, who was downed on the canvas face down. From there, he gets out of the ring. The kid and the referee both recover at roughly the same time, having no idea what's just happened. The kid pins Razor and gets the 1-2-3, making it the second time the kid has beaten Razor Ramon on Monday Night Raw. We go to commercial break, and when we come back, Dean Douglas is in his ring attire, that horrible blue uh, Dean's coat. I think with the hat, it kind of makes him look like he's graduating college, um, and he's wiping sweat. Um, he's obviously gotten changed from the angle in the commercial break, and he's trying to appear as though he's been at the back the whole time. Not sure why he wasn't trying to hide his identity or anything. Uh, he then proceeds to start to mark the kid first, getting a D for dumb. Um, Razor gets an E for Elevate because he says that's what Razor's trying to do by coming towards Dean Douglas. Um, by that logic, I think he probably shouldn't be grading himself the A that he does, but grading himself a B for Buried. If you asked him these days, I'm pretty sure he'd agree with that as well. From there, we go to our uh, second match of the night, Tatanka and Kama up against Savio Vega and Bob Holly. Before the match gets underway, we see a replay of Ted DiBiase being slopped by Henry Godwin. Not really sure why they put this replay in here. The only relevance being Ted DiBiase is managing Tatanka and Kama. Early on in the match, and Savio's on offense against Tatanka, Buffalo. Um, Bob Holly isn't called Thurman Sparky Plug, which is a real shot to the heart for me. Tatanka and Kama outwit Bob Holly, uh, managing to dupe him into the ring several times and double team Savio. Vince and Jerry Lawler on commentary making a big deal about Bob Holly not being too bright, uh, being outwitted, and not being a great tag team wrestler. Kama's unloaded on Savio with some pretty cool kicks. Always enjoyed Kama's kicks. I think he was actually quite underrated myself. I really did enjoy watching him. I really have a soft spot for Papa Shango, and the Godfather got over with everyone, so he's one of those guys I think sometimes gets a worse rap than what he deserves. Vince channeling his inner Bobby Heenan saying, whose side is Bob Holly on? Because he does do the typical babyface manoeuvre of keep getting into the ring, trying to get to the heels, and the referee is distracted by him allowing the double team. The angle Vince has been trying to sell is pretty much washed out the door immediately when Holly gets the hot tag to a good crowd reaction and starts to take over. Unfortunately, uh, the end comes when he gets to the top rope and attempts a body press onto Kama. It looked like one of those deals where Kama was supposed to flip him over in the power slam reversal, but he's halfway to the mat taking a, a back bump before he realizes that's the spot. And then when he tries to recover into the slam, he spikes Bob Holly on his head, which is a pretty nasty looking bump. Probably didn't help towards his neck surgery later on down the line, um, though I think he did blame Brock Lesnar for that mostly. Uh, nonetheless, Kama and Tatanka get the one, two, three was a decent match, and from there we go to a Razor Ramon promo in the back, insulting Dean Douglas, calling him bookworm, um, doing the visual for four eyes, putting his hands over his eyes, and insulting him for being more educated than what Razor is. That burn's going to go deep. Next match of the night is Jean-Pierre Lafitte up against Brian Walsh. Had to hit the network milestone to find out who Brian Walsh was, a jobber that I'd never really seen before. This is essentially a glorified squash match and not too quick of a squash match at that because the match serves as a backdrop for Bret Hart to phone in on commentary. Um, they used to do these deals a lot in the early Raw where they would talk to someone over the phone line. Vince is talking to Brett, and there's all praise. A couple of interesting lines I found on the on the interview. One, Brett saying he didn't know pirates still existed. 
a little strange. Um, and he also says that this, the jacket that Jean-Pierre Lafitte stole from him was made by his mum. Another interesting line. Other than that, it's just Vince praising Brett and Lawler arguing with Brett. Brett says to Lawler that you and Jean-Pierre Lafitte should get on really well because you're both liars and thieves. And that pretty much brings the interview to an end which signals the cue for the go-home on the match. Jean-Pierre Lafitte slamming down Brian Walsh, going up to the top rope and hitting a really sick-looking move, which later would be known as the Swanton. They call it a cannonball here. Uh, the big difference being that Brian Walsh was in the middle of the ring and got a lot more distance than what Jeff Hardy would later on down the track. We then see a very young Tony Chimmel reinforcing the ring, a line that Gorilla Monsoon used to use all the time when there were big guys coming out, and at the moment there's no one bigger than Mabel and Yokozuna. We go to the main event of the evening, which is Men on a Mission up against Yokozuna and Owen Hart for the tag titles because Gorilla Monsoon knew we wanted it. The match starts off with Mo and Owen Hart going at it early on. Good back and forth. Vince is speculating about the thought of Mabel and Yokozuna getting in the ring while we're all dreading it. Mabel does get in the ring not too soon after, and he's taking it to Owen. Lawler gets a brilliant line on commentary. When Mabel was young, he could only play sick because of the size of him. Really cracked me up. Uh, Mo does get back in, and he has a, what appears to be the Skeletor logo on his boots. So for any child of the 80s like myself, you'll appreciate that. And he's working over Owen pretty well. Uh, from there, Yokozuna gets in the ring and tries to get to Mabel. Tim White puts himself between Mabel and Yokozuna, so for my money, that marks his first attempted suicide. Eventually we do get Mabel and Yokozuna in the ring and the crowd appear to be popping at strange points like when there's not actually been a move hit or anything and it's then that I notice on the hard camera side of the ring a policeman coming down to ringside and escorting one or two people away. Obviously they were more interested in that than the match. As Vince goes nuts over Mabel and Yokozuna being in the ring, it reminds me of my old Vince McMahon weight loss theory. What weight loss theory is that, you might ask? No, it's got nothing to do with the Buddy Rose blow-away diet for anyone that was watching back then. It's more, there doesn't seem to be any better way to get a main event push in my eyes in all my years watching wrestling than to be big and fat. And then at the same time, there doesn't appear to be any better way to lose a main event push than to be big and fat, the same big and fat that you were when you achieved the push. So I can only theorize that nothing gets Vince off more than seeing fat men attempt to lose weight. For examples of this, see Yokozuna being sent to Fat Camp, Big Show being sent to Fat Camp, etc. The finishing sequence comes thick and fast as Mabel throws Owen at Yokozuna. We see a double clothesline from Men in a Mission on Yokozuna. A missile drop kick gets Owen Hart a near fall on Mo, And then we see the finish with uh, Owen Hart drop toe holding Mo. I'm not sure that's a word, but we'll go with it. And Yokozuna coming over the back with a big leg drop. Um, Owen gets the pin and Yoko holds Mabel's legs, who's attempting to get in and break it up. From there, we go to the back for a horrible babyface promo between Shawn Michaels and, and Diesel. I never remembered Shawn Michaels being this cheesy. I always thought he had a bit of an arrogant edge to him. Um, from my memory, I never remembered stuff like this, but he's calling Diesel BDC, um, calling themselves best buddies, and then Nash is pretty much the same, calling Shawn Michaels his little best buddy. Just really cheesy stuff and not for me. We then get a Jim Cornette promo back in the ring. Vince is interviewing, interviewing him. The tag champs are still in there, as is Mr. Fuji. Cornette's talking a mile a minute about the past problems between Diesel and Sean and trying to sell dis dissension in the ranks in his typical Jim Cornette fashion. It's not that interesting to me simply because I've heard him call Vince Russo a goddamn cocksucker so many times that I expect a lot of swearing when Cornette speaks. 
The last segment on Raw is a King's prediction where Vince asks Jerry Lawler to make a prediction, and he does. He predicts Yokozuna will take the title from Kevin, uh, Diesel. And then after that, we get told that next week's main event will be the British Bulldog up against The Undertaker. That does make me want to review the next week's show as well. And that'll do it for Raw. is coming to you from Johnson City, Tennessee, the night after the Fall Brawl pay-per-view. Commentary team again of Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Steve Mongo McMichael, who has Pepe back at the announce desk dressed as a cowboy. The show opens up with Mean Gene um, in the backstage area, interviewing Kevin Sullivan and a raspy giant who pop out of an ambulance. Uh, mean Gene with the best line of the segment, saying, if your father were alive, he'd be disgusted with what you're doing towards the giant, who retorts that if my father were alive, he'd be helping me destroy Hulkamania. I did that no justice whatsoever, and we all know they're talking about Andre the Giant, but it does make me smile going back and watching this. From there, we get our first match of the evening, which is the American Males up against the Blue Bloods, out first to the American Males, and holy shit, that theme song. They get to the ring and out come the Blue Bloods, but no, wait, one of them appears to be attacked by Harlem Heat, the other never makes it through the curtain, and Harlem Heat come on down to ringside. Um, Sister Sherry is with them, I didn't notice her at first, but she's definitely there. Booker T gets on the microphone and says they're taking over, and they want to give a title shot to the males rather than the Blue Bloods being in the match. American males, I'm sure, were quite happy with this turn of events. Um, early on in the match, we get Stevie Ray up against Scotty Riggs, uh, we get a double drop, dot drop kick even on Stevie Ray from Riggs and Bagwell, and which Eric gives a really good line on commentary of "double your pleasure, double your fun." I'm not sure what he did the night before, but that just stuck with me a little bit. Booker T gets in the ring, and we see a huge axe kick. Always love that move, particularly when he gets the elevation, and not too long after that, a really big leg lariat as well. Booker T's offense always was good by me. From there, I noticed what would probably be the first big sign of the show um, in the second row on the hard camera on the old school computer paper. You know, the stuff that's all joined together that you've, is perforated and it's got the holy bits on either side. About five people wide, this sign just says, we want it raw. Um, they should tune into this show and they'll be able to get both at the same time. Buff Bagwell's in the ring not too long after this, and he hits a drop kick on both members of Harlem Heat, one after the other, then goes up for a third, and in another classic uh, wrestling logic, Booker T steps back, so Bagwell lands exactly the same way he would if he hit it, but he's hurt because he didn't hit it, and he's on the ground selling. Not too long after that, uh, we see Colonel Robert Parker come to ringside and sweep Sherry off her feet as though it was their wedding day, who loses a shoe in the process. And somehow amongst all the confusion, Buff Bagwell steals a pin on Booker T and we have new tag team champions, the American Males. Watching it uh, first time through, I didn't really see what happened, but thankfully they did show a replay. Um, props to WCW for getting that sorted. Buff went for a pump handle slam. Sorry, Booker went for a pump handle slam on Buff, who reversed it and got the 1-2-3. 
From there, Randy Savage tells me to snap into a spicy, beefy Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. Um, brilliant advert. I always love seeing this stuff when I go back and watch old wrestling. Um, this one's second only to the Randy Savage Hasbro ads on the early roars. Up next, Mean Jeans interviewing Ric Flair in the ring, who's unhappy Brian Pillman got involved in his match with Arn Anderson the night before. He's unhappy with Arn Anderson for allowing someone else to be involved. Um, not much happening. Again, a weak promo from Flair for the second week running, um, which is unusual when you consider all the brilliant ones of the past. After that, we've got an ad for WCW Saturday Night. Nothing stands out to me as much as the ad from the last show. Um, the big standouts for this is we'll get a rundown on Hulk Hogan's condition after Fall Brawl, and we'll get a one-on-one -on -one with Dusty Rhodes. Up next is Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff up against Johnny B. Bad. Um, Orndorff's coming out first to horrible opera music. Um, Mongo and Eric Bischoff on commentary are really getting stuck into the music. Heenan says he likes it, of course. Um, Orndorff comes out with a tiny mirror. Picture the kind of mirror that your girlfriend or wife would be checking the back of her hair when brushing it in the morning with, and you've got the picture pretty well. It's like a really horrible indie knockoff of a Shawn Michaels or Lex Luger gimmick on about a 50 cent budget. We get a Paula chant nice and early. Uh, we go to a commercial break before I've taken any notes about the action, so it wasn't that hot. And then my network dropped out for 10 minutes again, which means two weeks or two shows in a row that I've had network issues. Coming back from that, and Orndorff is on the outside somehow, and we see a horrible botch, the first real one of the pro of the show for me. Um, Johnny B. Bad runs to the ropes. Uh, looks like he's going to go for the old WCW Rey Mysterio 619 fake out, but he just sort of jumps between the top and middle rope feet first and lands on the apron, not kicking out at Orndorff whatsoever, but Orndorff was expecting a kick to the back of the head or something and sells it like he's been hit with a baseball bat. It was really bad stuff. Uh, Johnny B. Bad attempts to pick up uh, the action to, I guess, cover for the botch a little bit, which isn't mentioned on commentary. He hits a plancher to the outside, gets Orndorff back in, hits an axe handle off the top, and then we go to the finishing sequence where Orndorff reverses a roll-up and sits on him kind of like a sunset flip and gets the one, two, three, which brings up my favourite commentary line of the whole night where Mongo says, he sat on his head, come here so I can try that, Bobby. I don't think he thought that one through before saying it on live TV. After that, we get a recap of uh, Kevin Sullivan attacking Macho Man Randy Savage on the set of Baywatch. That is the most 90 sentence I've said all week, and it was as brilliant as it sounded. Macho was doing bench press for, uh, in front of a bunch of uh, cast members or extras from Baywatch who were looking on pretty impressed, and Kevin Sullivan jumped in. Um, he starts to beat him down a little bit, but Ric Flair and a couple of people I didn't recognize shoo him off and save the Macho Man. Next up on Nitro, that leads us into an interview, uh, Mean Gene interviewing the Macho Man in the ring, which also leads us to our dick move of the week. Macho Man Randy Savage basically tells Flair, don't need you, don't want you. Um, I think you did need him, and you probably did want him, because Kevin Sullivan was about to cave your head in with your weights, so a bit harsh, Randy. Um, he's then going calling out Hulk Hogan for being, in his words, the worst choice of character for letting Lex Luger on the team, and he's insinuating that he's going to be a little bit harder on everyone from now on. This brings out Lex Luger, who says to Savage, yeah, I've got my own agenda, but you want the title, don't you? So you must have your own agenda too. Back and forth between the two on the microphone, and then we get a bit of a slap fest before we cut away. 
coming back from the break, we get a Hulk Hogan segment from the pay-per-view, either the pay-per-view or the, the free show the night before. Mean Gene stood outside in the sun in a really cool pair of 90s sunglasses, uh, waiting on Hulk Hogan pulling up on his motorbike. And as he does, we see about a dozen plants, really, really dodgy looking plants with autograph books and pens all screaming. There's, I think, one kid in a dad's arms and all the rest were adults acting like children, seeing Britney Spears for the first time when she was still relevant. Um, Hulk gives a typical Hulk promo and then we, we cut away to see a monster truck revving up in the, in the same scene, uh, cut back to the motorbike and they've all cleared the way as the monster truck runs over the bike a couple of times backwards and forwards. It's the giant behind the monster truck who then pulls up and starts laughing maniacally. Hulk Hogan comes up to the truck and in another example of wrestling logic, similar to when a guy stands in the ring uh, being insulted by someone on the ramp but can't get to them because of the ropes, starts banging on the door of the monster truck while the giant laughs. He does graze his arm, so the giant just puts his arm back in the truck. No attempt to roll up the window, drive off, anything like that. And Hulk, no attempt to stand on the step and open the door. So the two of them come out of this looking pretty stupid. As a matter of full disclosure for these segments going forward, I was never a huge Hulkamaniac as a kid. Um, the younger I was, the more I liked him. I did have a couple of the Hulk Hogan sets, and obviously he featured heavily on everything that I've ever watched. Um, but every chance I got to have someone take over his crown, I wanted them to be it Macho Man, the Ultimate Warrior. I was desperate for him to take over. And then The Undertaker, funnily enough, became my favourite wrestler, uh, mostly because he beat Hulk Hogan for the title, and that was a love affair from then on for myself. Uh, the next thing we see is a recap from the War Games the night before, or really just a brief snippet of the giant interfering. He um, jumps over the top rope in one ring, then jumps over the top rope into the other ring while the commentators gush over his athleticism, and he chokes Hulk Hogan a bit and does the famous neck snap a la Zeus in 1989. From there, we're going to our main event of the evening, which is uh, Brian Pillman up against Ric Flair, a match I was quite looking forward to because of those involved. We do get a pretty hot start with a bit of back and forth, and Ric Flair channeling his inner macho man. As Pillman's on the outside, Flair climbs up to the top and hits a double axe handle. It was a little bit strange, but because before, before he went, the referee trying to talk him down got on the second rope next to him. Just a strange visual. They come back inside, and Ric Flair attempts to come off the top rope with an axe handle again, but Brian Pillman hits a dropkick in a pretty cool spot. Then we get Eric Bischoff on commentary telling us to call Mike Tanay on the hotline to find out which, um, to find out about another WCW star leaving WCW. I don't think he meant it to sound like that, but that is what he said, so it was a little bit odd. And another classic Mongo line, this is becoming a real real joy for me. Um, Ric Flair was an 11-time champion and you never got to manage him, Enan. To which Bobby replies, yes I did, I managed him. It is turning into quite a hot little match with a good back and forth, but out of nowhere, Ric Flair slaps on the figure four in the middle of the ring and no reversal, no fight. Pillman gives up, uh, just ending it way too soon to be anything of note. Probably lasted about five or six minutes. Rick then gets on the mic and calls out Arn Anderson right now, or next week, I'm going to kick your ass. Um, the commentators suggest that the censor should probably follow Ric Flair around. Um, from there, Eric Bischoff mentions that this show is live and the most watched uh, wrestling show in the world. He hadn't got the ratings for this week yet, and Raw did beat them, so unlucky Eric. Yeah, your dominance wouldn't be too far away, but just cool your jets a little bit first. And he tells us that on next week's show, we will see the Disco Inferno's Nitro debut up against Alex Wright, and the Macho Man up against Kevin Sullivan. And I said earlier in the show that the British Bulldog and Undertaker would make me want to carry this on to a third straight week in Nitro. Eric's doing his best to talk me out of it. Disco Inferno against Alex Wright. I can't see myself enjoying that. 
So with both shows now in the can, we'll go to the final segment where we talk about the pros and cons of both and we decide our winner based on the previously mentioned five-point system, which includes crowd heat, match quality, characters, storylines, and show presentation. First category being crowd heat. I'm going to go with Raw this week, though. There wasn't a lot in it. I think I might have been slightly persuaded by the fact that the miking was so much better and Raw seemed to be a much more jack show this week. But I do think the reactions for the stars on Raw probably did outshine those on Nitro with no Sting or Hulk Hogan this week. Match quality, I'm going to go with Raw again. Uh, close call, um, but Flair and Pillman really needed more time. Nitro were going to pull ahead on this one. The Kid and the Ra- uh, Razor Ramon match was quite good. I enjoyed it, and I liked the characters in the tag team match on Raw better than I did the Nitro one. I would go on to like Booker T quite a lot, but the other three guys I could I could leave quite easily, um, whereas the combination of Karma Tatanka and Bob Holly really was cool for me. Um, Savio Vega, not so much. Not a favourite of mine. For characters, I'm going to give both shows a tie. Uh, Jean-Pierre Lafitte was horrible. A cheesy 90s WWF gimmick, of which there were many more, and I'll probably see a lot more on this show. Paul Orndorff is 10 years past any relevance, so it wasn't really much seeing him. Johnny B. Bad is horrible. Never enjoyed him. And Men on a Mission suck. Uh, Razor and the Kid, definitely worth watching. Flair and Brian Pillman, the standouts in WCW. Uh, Colonel Robert Parker was a little bit cheesy, as is Tatanka, Buffalo. I much more enjoy seeing Tatanka these days than I do back then. Um, I find it a little, I guess you could say it an ironic sense or a retro sense, whatever it may be. But at the time, I hated him. Storyline, I'm going to go with WWF again. There was minor advancement of the Flair AA angle and some interview segments and recaps for the WCW stuff. Um, but Raw really raced ahead with some, some of its storylines. Razor Ramon and Dean Douglas um, got quite a bit of time devoted to it. And the slow burn or simmer for Razor and the kid went as well, which was really good. Uh, Brett and Jean Paul Lafitte. Jean-Pierre Lafitte, I apologise, um, had some good advancement as well. Not a match that I was particularly interested in, but one that did get good time. And the two chaps with all the straps, as Diesel called them, um, with Yokozuna and Owen Hart, there was some good time added to that one as well. As far as presentation, I'm going to give this one to WCW. Raw did a better job this week, but uh, Nitro being on just its third week, it was... And just looked a lot more modern. Obviously, um, it was early days and a new presentation, so that definitely tipped the scales for myself. All that being said, um, I give the nod to Raw this week. Um, believe it or not, we're now two weeks in a row where the ratings have pretty well told the same story. Um, Nitro with a close win last week. I think the ratings were actually even, but close enough. And Raw taking back over on the second head-to-head battle. Um, though I do think Raw was aired on the Thursday, so if you want to debate that fact, you are welcome to. And finally, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening again. Um, episode two in the bag, and this is something that I've really enjoyed doing so far, other than actually trying to get it on the internet for people to listen to. Um, if you've heard this now that you know I've got the SoundCloud page up and running, I have submitted the podcast to iTunes, and I'm waiting to hear back there, so hopefully it's just a matter of time before we can make it easily accessible for everyone. And a big thank you to William from the New Blood Rising podcast, who's been helping me through this Uh, If I didn't have him to bounce off, I probably wouldn't get it done. Um, And hopefully many more episodes to come and many more listeners to find us. Thank you very much. Goodbye.